Yes, Jason attended my youth group, so all the positive things from him is my responsibility. I'll avoid Matthew Morgan for anything else. So, um, well, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, whoever is flipping through the slides, I will try to give you cues, but I'm really horrible at it, so just try to keep up. So, uh, um, My wife Doris and I have been missionaries with the Assemblies of God uh, World Mission since uh, November 2005. Uh, I was trying to think, man, when was the last time we were here? The last time I can remember was when we first were going out. I think that was, that would probably have been the spring of 2007, the best I recall. I may have been here another time, but the only reason I remember that time is because we were in a motel, and I remember that night, tornado sirens going off all night long. It was a memorable time. It's funny, as you, as you do what I do so much, travel to all these churches, you start to remember little things from this church and that church. That's my memory from here. So, um, From our picture, you can see we have three kids. Uh, my wife is the beautiful lady there in the plaid, Doris. Uh, next to her is our youngest, Gracie. She will be turning 13 in November. Um, her little smirk on her face gives you all the uh, answers to what kind of personality she is. She is the honoring one. Um, Ariana next to her looks like her mom, uh, like her little clone, um, is our, she will be 15 on the 27th, she's into reading, she, she's like a Tolkien nerd, my daughter has written, has read all but one of Tolkien's books he's written, so, uh, she tries to explain to me, I just look at her and say, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, just, she's talking about saying we're really in this or that. I'm like, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But uh, the, the, the large fella in behind there next to me is my son TJ, just turned 16. Uh, we have, they have grown up on the missions field. TJ was two years old when we went. Uh, Ariana was 10 months, and, Ari, and Gracie was born there. So uh, I've got, as Pastor said, our ministry has changed. You guys have been an awesome partner uh, for our ministry for the last 15 years. Our ministry hasn't necessarily changed as much as it has expanded. We're no longer just missionaries to Indonesia. We do have our projects in Indonesia. We're still doing work in Indonesia, but our ministry has expanded to all the region. And uh, I've got a quick video here to, to show you, just kind of give you a taste of the Asia-Pacific region. task is the greatest epidemic of our lifetime. For over a hundred years, men and women have labored, forging a path to the never reached, traversing uncharted territories, pioneering new movements, risking life, limb, and even family. But with their yes, they challenge governmental authorities, face hostile ideologies, and darken the doors of demonic strongholds. Unwavering in their conviction, they stood up for the oppressed and defended the afflicted. They intended for the miraculous, believed for the impossible, hoped for revival, and saw heaven come to earth. Those who gone before us went where no one else had yet been willing to go. In their dreams, they saw the very faces of generations who have not heard and may never hear. They did not go for clout or recognition, likes or comments. They sacrificed everything so that one more could hear. Their simple obedience built the very foundation our missions movement stands on and paved the way for us to do bigger, better, and faster. What will we do to honor these heroes of faith? Is this the end 
of their story or the beginning of ours. The urgency of this unfinished task has not diminished. This is the heart of God. Today, we stand upon the shoulders of giants. Their ceiling is our floor. It's our turn to journey to the ends of the earth. Will our yes endure? Will we stand in the gap for a generation who has not yet heard? Wake up! Don't delay! The nations are ready for harvest. Let's make history. Together, our guests will see heads lifted, doctors tremble, territories taken, churches planted, sickness retracted, visions fulfilled, souls saved, the broken restored, his kingdom come, and his will is done. Take the baton and charge ahead. Don't let this moment pass or complicate the call. This is a convergence, an assembly, a movement compelled by the mandate, go into all nations. We were made for this. The never reach are not numbers and need, percentages or themes. These are people, faces, and voices of those that need to be reached. They've waited long enough. They're waiting on us. As I see the missionaries of old and they talk about the, the trails they blazed, I've got the privilege of walking on those trails. I've got the privilege of standing on their shoulders. And the really cool thing is, is now I'm starting to see people get to stand on my shoulders. You know, it's just really neat when God has prepared you and taken you to a location. We've went and we've went into areas that uh, we've never had a, an aging missionary or any missionary for that fact in some of the areas where we've lived. Uh, it's been really cool to be those people that have the privilege to go and do and then be able to see people walk through the trails that we blaze going in. I love that. The line says, it, their ceiling is our floor, man. That is the, the cry of our hearts today is for this next generation to understand where we are leave off, and I'm not done yet, please don't, I haven't hit my ceiling yet, but where those who have left off, that's a place that we get to start from because of what they've done, it's super exciting to be a part of this, God has taken us on an adventure, on a journey, in 2010, he called us to the island of Sulawesi, many of you guys may remember uh, us coming and sharing and talking about the boogeyman, uh, the boogies, uh, this is a tribe that God placed on our heart to, to Go and reach in South Sulawesi. That's the picture of Indonesia. The island is smack dab in the middle there is Sulawesi. And on the southwest peninsula is where we lived and ministered since 2010. Um, this last term I was sharing with Sunday school was incredible. God opened doors like we've never seen. I had a Muslim man come and ask me. says, I believe Jesus to be a prophet. But how is Jesus God? And if you don't know anything about Islam, that is... An opportunity you just don't get. I mean, plain and simple. God opened doors for us time and time again. One of the things he loves to do now, I kind of went kicking and screaming initially at first because I am the type that I don't like to be tied down. I'm a nomadic person, if you will. I love traveling. I love going. I love not being in one place and having a commitment necessarily all the time in one place. And my wife, as we moved to Makassar, the city in South Sulawesi, she said, I think we're supposed to open an English service. I said, nope, not doing it. Because if I do that, then I've got to be there every Sunday. 
If I do that, I've got to be there. And I can't just go and preach at this church. And I, I love preaching in the Indonesian churches. We travel through uh, the, the district and preach quite often. I said, I just don't want to do it. She just kept coming back to me going, I think we're supposed to do this. I said, look here. I'm going to take the month of April. And I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to legitimately pray about it and see if this will God. Because I don't want to be disobedient to God just for my preference. That's, that's nothing I desire. Uh, and so I took that month of April and I prayed about it. And God said, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so I went to my wife. I said, here's the deal. God says we're going to do it. The only way I'm doing this is if you're doing it with me. And so I said, you're my co-pastor. We're going to switch off so every other weekend at least I can travel somewhere and preach. And you know what God did? He did an amazing thing. He reopened All Nations Fellowship. Um, I was sharing a Sunday school class. This was in the back of a cafe in their smoking room. Uh, they had this beautiful place that uh, they let us use for absolutely nothing. They had sound equipment. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, but what I found is those Sundays that I was away, I wanted to be with my people. God placed in me just this heart to be with my people at All Nations Fellowship. We saw God's hand move. We saw people come to the Lord. We had our service because it wasn't in a church. There was times we'd have five, six, seven Muslim people that would attend our service. I mean, it was just an incredible thing God did. Um, so our All Nations Fellowship was one thing that was birthed in our last ministry. Uh, another, well, go to the next slide here. Here gives you a picture. I don't know if you can see it very well. But uh, those are all of our friends. I was at our different activities. The one with the candle uh, down here was actually a WM's Christmas service that the district church or the, uh, all the Makassar churches did. And my wife takes all these Muslim ladies too and they didn't know what to do with them. Uh, but it was so cool to see the pastor go. Wow, we can actually reach Muslims. We can actually, and so they had a great time. And, and uh, the the girl in the first song the, there, uh, and then the girl in the beanbags, the same girl. Her name's Issa. You guys heard me talk about her on, uh, in Sunday school, and uh, she's a very, very dear, special friend of ours. Um, and up the upper right corner, I believe that was uh, either Christmas or Thanksgiving. We had them all over our house, and so. It's just been, you know, super cool how God used that opportunity. One of the other ministries God opened up was the Reach Center. Yeah, there we go. The Reach Center was our community center that my wife just was inspired that we to do. She brought over about 1,500 English uh, books, mostly kids' books, some others. Uh, we started a little library. We actually had another shipment of 1,500 books that were coming in and uh, never made it through customs. And all that was lost, but uh, God was good. What provided for us, we set this house up in the middle of a uh, Muslim community. We had some MAs that came over who didn't speak very good English. They were or English, Indonesian. <laughs> I didn't speak very good English there either, did I? Uh, they didn't speak Indonesian yet. Uh, so they were able to come over and minister in English to these kids that would come over every day after school. My kids would go and operate as translators for them many times. As you see my son right there in the middle, they thought he was a jungle gym or a tree. Um, <laughs> My daughter, Gracie, she would help out with, uh, with the kids' English uh, club. She would translate for our, uh, our MA at the time. And then my other daughter started up a book called uh, Diva Devos. It was a devotional for the expat girls her age. And my son also did a chess club for the expat kids his age as well. It's just incredible seeing our kids have weekly ministry that they were involved in, that they were doing. And it's, it's been really neat seeing them come back. And they really own and embrace the idea of being a missionary to their high school. 
They're, lead, they're taking a lead in their friends to the Lord, bringing them to church and getting them actively involved. It's been really exciting to see. The last ministry that we started while we were there was the Esperanza House. The Esperanza House uh, is our girls' home in Palopo. What that is, is a place where we have 18 girls. Right now, I think they're down to 14 or 16 or something like that. But ultimately, it houses 18 girls and a, a house mom. And allows girls from the village who normally would be, you know, when they were done with elementary school, you have to go to the city for a high, junior high and high school. Well, boys often get sent in because they, they let boys be a little more free. They also, uh, boys will go and get a good job and send money back to mom and dad. Uh, and so they look at it as an investment with girls a lot of times because, uh, honestly, they get found a husband to marry at 13, 14, 15 years old, which can cause some great complications through childbirth and different things like that. So what the Esperanza House does is it opens up opportunity for these girls in the villages to come to Palopo to live and be able to go to the Christian high school that's on the Bible College campus, and then if they so desire, be able to finish off their their college education either through the Bible College or we help them go on to university elsewhere. And so uh, it's been really exciting to see. We've actually been able to turn that over to the Bible College to run at this point. We still help uh, fund it. We uh, have projects that we raise money for it and whatnot. But uh, God is just really, the testimonies are just incredible. And uh, you guys want to hear a great testimony later on. Catch me of Annie. It'll break your heart and and make you rejoice at the same time. So, uh, So God took us from Sulawesi. And expanded our ministry initially to Indonesia. My wife became the uh, uh, field coordinator, which means she oversaw all the activities. Uh, she chaired the, the board for all the missionaries in uh, the Assemblies of God that were in Indonesia. That was her position, so it caused her to have to travel a lot. Now, I, if, you, if you know anything about me, I just prefer to keep my head down, keep my nose clean, and just do, go about my business. You know, I, I'm the type that, like, I don't care if other people acknowledge what I'm doing. I just, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. Uh, well, whenever your wife's the field coordinator, that no longer happens. And so she uh, was traveling all over and uh, was able to kind of pastor missionaries a lot of times. It was going in, how are you doing? What are you, your needs? Be able to lift them up, help them out, guide them, and direct them. Well, with that, um, we had a couple of natural disasters. First one being uh, an earthquake on the island of Lombok. So, my wife in the position she's in. She has the uh, general superintendent of the Assemblies God in Indonesia calling her saying, who can go check this out? She has our regional director going, who can go check this out? My wife looks over me and goes, you want to go check it out? <laughs> Uh, and I have done some work with natural disasters, so I was like, yeah, let's go. You know, and it was really funny. I go and so I go to, there's a kind of an IE, or REI store. It's called Iger there, and I go and buy two massive tents, and I get all this gear. And I'm coming, flying into Lombok. Now, Lombok, if, if you probably have no idea what it, where that is, it's right next to the island of Bali. Now, most of you probably heard of Bali. Bali is like the, the uh, Australian Hawaii. They, the, everybody goes to Bali for vacation. Well, Lombok's the quieter version. They started developing it. So people who are a little older don't want to go. The party scenes, I said, they go to Lombok. Well, this earthquake hits, causing all these flights to be grounded. And here I am, I'm flying into Lombok. I'm this white guy walking through the, the airport with all these other white people staring at me going, what is wrong with this guy? You know, they're trying to get out. I'm rushed in. But God used that. And, and some really cool stories I could share for hours with you about that. Well, 
right following that, that happened August, I want to say August 8th, uh, and then just following that on September 27th, uh, there was a trifecta happened in the city of Palo, which had an earthquake, had a tsunami, and had something called liquefaction. If you've never heard of liquefaction, look it up. I've never heard of it. It was the craziest thing. Ultimately, it's where the earth becomes quicksand. I mean, and I've actually seen it do more damage than what the tsunami earthquake actually did. Um, but this picture here, it's, kind of, it's, it's a cool story to this picture because my wife, being the field coordinator, calls the district superintendent up there and says, Hey, we got some, Tim coming up with some guys from Convoy. Is there anything that they can do, you know, bring up here? And said, so, well, we have one church that was completely destroyed up in this, this village. And they're just asking that they can have a guitar so they can worship on Sunday. And all their, I mean, they lost so much. And they wanted a guitar so they could praise Jesus. I mean, it's just a, just a cool, cool opportunity. I'm like, we'll go get them the best guitar we can go get them. Even uh, so we took the guitar up to them. Um, so then God now has taken us not only from Sulawesi and not only Indonesia, but has now expanded us to the 42 countries of Asia Pacific. Um, this runs for me. I'm doing natural disaster relief. Hence what the experience I have has translated to what I'm doing now, working alongside with Convoy of Hope. Uh, my wife is a director of a ministry called Asia's Little Ones. If we can go ahead and go two slides ahead here real quick. One more. Sorry for So Asia's Little Ones focuses on homes. Uh, this is children's homes, much like our Brown's house. This is, uh, they focus on health. Uh, which, you know, comes in a variety. they got many different ministries that they're supporting in that, and then education. And so there's 23 different ministries. My wife's ministry, the little one, supports uh, throughout Asia Pacific. This, uh, this young man here comes with a really cool story. When we were what was called MITs in 2009, we were, my wife was asked to help out and, and run a, uh, a ministry in Kimbang Kuning. Kimbang Kuning was... The uh, Christian cemetery, where they would have children's church. This was a ministry another missionary had started. Uh, he was leaving the field. Our church took it over and revamped it. Well, this young man here in 2009, my wife, wife met him while she was beating him some food, sitting on graves, and uh, teaching about Jesus. Um, these kids are mostly from the red light district, uh, very, very poor. Um, Later, as we left, another couple took and started what's called, they call the YDP program. It's a youth development program. They were able to take these kids that's from there. As they started getting into the youth group age, what we consider youth group age, they started teaching them business practices and how to manage money and how to raise money and how to be able to put that to work. And they were able to then uh, ask, they called us and said, hey, we want to come off island because we live on a whole other island. They did. So we want to come off island and we want to do a ministry. You have something to do a missions trip. Is there something to do? I said, well, I've got a widow up in this, this village that uh, needs a house. They're like, all right. They sold coffee in the church uh, for like six months, raised the money to pay for all of them to fly over there, take a bus trip another 10, 12 hours, where we would take a truck ride two hours up into the mountains and build this widow's house up there. This young man was a part of that. And then in 2019, this is at his graduation. He graduated with a law degree and is now fighting for the injustice of the, the people of Indonesia. It's just a 
That's the kind of stuff my wife gets to be a part of in her ministry. And that's the kind of stuff you, when you support your missions program here at this church, gets to be a part of through us. And we thank you guys so much for that. Mother Teresa had a quote said, Love to be genuine does not have to be extravagant. What we need is to love without getting tired. Man, the testimonies are usually the extravagant love we see. But I tell you what, what is more valuable than the big gifts that we received one time, more valuable than the, the prayers answered them one time, is those who are faithful in giving monthly, those who are faithful praying daily, those who are faithful to walk with us through these journeys. Let us not love without, or let, let us love without getting tired. Well, this morning I do have a message for you. This morning I, I go on and on and on about Indonesia and our ministry now, and I, I, I'm thankful your pastor said there was no time restraints, and we usually get done like 1.32, was it you said? Was that what you said? I'm just kidding, I get hungry way too quick. Uh, don't worry about that. Oh! So my message this morning is, what is it going to take? Falling in line with righteousness. We'll go to the next slide there. What's it going to take? Falling in line with righteousness. We go to the next slide. When a, world, when a world is becoming more and more chaotic, what are we as Christians called to do? I unfortunately see a lot of reaction to current situations, and I, I see a lot of unbiblical reaction happening within the church. I don't believe that God is glorified with many of our, our reactions uh, to current situation. And I am not here to tell you this is the way you do it, this is the way you do it, this way. I want you to, to align yourself biblically with God, and you need to discover that for yourself. But we're going to talk about what's it going to take. Um, next slide, if we would. In the recent years, we've seen people live in fear of the future. They live in fear of our neighbors, whether it's local or, or foreign. We live in fear of the government. Depression has overcome our society. I'm overwhelmed with the number of suicides that's happened in our society since this uh, March 2020. Anger runs rampant among people who have nothing to be had nothing happen. Sorry, nothing bad happened to them, but are fearful of what might happen. Our society blames the government, or at least a government, for what is happening, and yet we look to our government to fix it. If you have your Bibles, you open up to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. We're going to read on the screen, have it on the screen as well here. See, our world is like it's never been. We've never had to navigate this stuff. But I want to encourage us as Christians, let us not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge Him. Matthew 14, 22 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the wave because of the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the, water, on the lake. When the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. But Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You little faith, he said, why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died, and those who were in the boats worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let us pray, dear Heavenly Father God. We thank you for your word, Lord. I believe your word to be true. I believe this story is not a fictional story, but God, it is a story that you placed there for our, our good, Lord. God, I just pray that this morning you will use me to convey your message, God. Lord, that you will speak to hearts through your Holy Spirit and lead them to the place that you want them to be, God. Lord, help us, God, to set our eyes on you and run the race that you've marked out before us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I relate to Peter. I, I do. I'm the type of guy, I would be like, Jesus, hey, tell me to come. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? This is going to be. You know what? I'm the kind of guy that I'm going to pull the sword off, cut off the news here and get rebuked by Jesus. You know, maybe I'm doing something right, but I'm really messing up. You know, that's, that's the kind of guy I know. I unfortunately relate way, way too much to Peter. See, as we look at Peter in the situation, what Peter misses is that while the environment around him is in chaos, the wind, the while the storm raged around him, it had no effect on him. There was wind blowing, but he was standing up straight. There was waves crashing, but he was walking on the water. See, the chaos around him did not affect his situation. It did not, it did not affect his status and the, the fact that he was the only second and only people to walk on the water next to Jesus in all, all history. He missed that because he saw the chaos happening around him. He missed the fact that he was walking on water because he saw the chaos around him. He missed the power of Jesus that allowed him to walk on water because the natural around him was real. The chaos around his people is real. I ain't going to say here. I'm not one of those saying, oh, this, this COVID stuff, it's, it's not even real, it's made up. I'm not, I'm not here to, to say that you know, people aren't dying from this. I'm not here saying people aren't getting sick. Hey, my family just went through it too, you know. So I, I get you, I've got, a, I've got an uncle and an aunt, or my wife's uncle and my aunt are in the hospital right now. It's real. But it does not negate the power of Jesus. It does not negate the salvation in which we've received. Yeah. It does not affect the church. Now it will affect our physical bodies. Get that. Amen. See, it says he saw the wind. Anybody ever saw the wind? I never saw the wind. In fact, he did not see the wind, he saw the effects of the wind. The power of an invisible force scared him. See, I, I believe the church has been scared by the effects of a Invisible force. His faith was little because he saw potential danger. He perceived what might happen rather than acknowledging what was happening. Church, God's happening. Jesus is happening. The Holy Spirit is happening. We, when we focus on the negative and what the world is doing, we miss what God is doing. When we allow the potential of danger to scare us. We miss the power of God in our lives. So what's it going to take to fall in line with righteousness? Well, first thing we must do is understand truth and make it our constant pursuit. This is something I, you know, I, I believe it's original to me. I don't know that it is. If, if someone else has said it, please let me know and I will, I'll, I'll pass it. 
But I believe God spoke this to me a couple of years ago. There are two questions that each of us must answer for ourselves. The first one, who is Jesus? And the second one, who do I say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus Isn't that the same? No. There is truth, and then there is perceived truth. They don't always line up. Now, my goal as a believer is that I try to make those things line up. Now, the, the, the funny thing is, is we all, all too often we, we, we have the perception of who I say Jesus is a solid and who Jesus is can kaboom. Now, who Jesus is a solid, and my perception of who Jesus is has to come in line with who he is. It's, it's not going to go meet me. i got to go meet him. Amen. He is a changer for you. That's right. Genesis 1, 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created, I mean, male and female, he created. Let's make that clear. That's in the story right there. It's in chapter right. It's biblical truth right there. Colossians 1, 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So our lives should look like Jesus' life. This is why we need to be in constant pursuit of truth. That's your Sunday, our Sunday school class. The 22-year-old Tim Eckert believed Jesus to be different than what the 42-year-old Tim Eckert believes Jesus to be. Now, I, I pray and hope that I follow more than follow. I don't think I've moved away from the, the truth on that. But the fact is, is we should continually be growing. That's the working out our salvation daily. That's moving into an understanding of who Jesus is and making our, line, our lives line up with who He is. Amen. Who we say Jesus is ultimately is making Jesus in our own image. Now, we want to, to turn that word we're making our image in, in who Jesus is. We need to be created in His image. Who do, we, who do we say Jesus is often? All too often is created by a number of outside factors. Our socioeconomic upbringing, our family dynamics, uh, family beliefs, nationality, and ethnicity. In fact, uh, if you lived in the United States all your life, there's a good chance you may believe one or more of these things. So hold with me here. Don't, don't throw any stones until we're done, alright? Um, first thing that we often believe is Jesus wants us to be happy. Oh, he, just, he just wants me to be happy. No, he wants you to find happiness in him. He wants you to find him and then be happy in where he places you. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to find happiness in him. Number two, Jesus wants us to be comfortable. Man, talk to Paul about that one. <laughs> you ain't read you ain't read the New Testament then if that you think that's the case. But to me, I mean, and this is not an American mindset. In fact, in Indonesia, if you don't know Indonesians eat rice three times a day. Except for on the island of Kalimantan. Kalimantan is we know that it's Malaysia, it's Borneo, so half of it's actually Indonesian. The assembly of God in Indonesia had set out to plant 300 churches in Kalimantan. They got all these pastors that were like, we're going to give you salary for two years, and you're going to go move to Kalimantan and become a church planter there. And they're like, all right, awesome, let's do it. They got about a bottle clutch. <coughs> Excuse me. And whatever they got there, they realized in Kalimantan they don't eat rice. Over half the pastors left because they can hack it. 
They were uncomfortable. It was not familiar. It did not make sense. How can you live without rice? You know what? We laughed. I've heard people say, I don't know how you can live without Starbucks. It's like you ain't never drank coffee on the side of a mountain until you got to them. Because, oh, buddy, it's grown right there and I'm drinking it right here. You know? But there's people, man, I could not live without having, you know, my Bebop's burger just down the street. You know, I couldn't live without having this or that, you know. God, many people believe Jesus wants us to be comfortable. Third, Jesus wants us to be safe, right? He wants us to be safe. That's why so many, man, that, that, mm, no, that's too dangerous for me. Man, uh-uh, my guy, mm, no. Next one, Jesus helps those who help themselves. I want to see biblical verses on that one still. Um, next one. Philippians 4.13 can be applied to winning a Super Bowl, but wouldn't dare apply it to embracing hard times in my life. We should read Philippians 12 if, that, if, you, did, if you believe that. Next one. We should take care of our own family slash nation before helping others. Next one, a natural disaster can be God's God pouring out His wrath on someone. And lastly, if I do good, Jesus will bless me. Now, all of these things have a portion of truth to them. I'll be honest; there's some truth to every one of these statements. Problem is, is they are they are distorted truths. The truths that work in our favor. I mean, you know, they really, you look at it, everyone goes, they're kind of, God wants me to be comfortable. You can't go anywhere else. I, I like my uh, pieces and cream sweet corn. I can't get that elsewhere, right? You know? See, the truth is to be pursued. The truth is to be pursued. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you know, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does it set you free from? Let's look at that real quick. Well, it sets you free from your sinful nature, Romans 6.6. 6. It sets you free from your own understanding, Proverbs 3.5-6. Now, Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump on this one real quick here because as someone who's lived outside of America, you get a new perspective. I'm, I'm just going to say and I've had people give me this argument. Where in the Bible does the does Jesus say that, or does God say that we should not use common sense? Proverbs 3, 5, 6, lean not on your own understanding, but on your ways of knowledge. And you know what? If your common sense does not line up with the Word of God, it's nonsense. It's not common sense. So It sets you free from your perceived truth. Proverbs 14, 12. If you get a chance... I, I did throw up because we just don't have the time, but there's a video that Will Smith did. He talks about going to skydive. I think you just type in Will Smith skydiving. And he talks about how him and his buddies are out drinking one night. And he says, dude, let's go skydiving. And we're like, yeah, yeah. You know, he's just, they're all jacked or ready to go skydiving. That night he goes to bed and he goes, what am I thinking? Skydiving? He says, and at that moment, I am freaked out. I am perfectly safe in my bed. There is no danger to me at that point, but I am starting to freak out. The next morning he wakes up, he can't be the one chicken out, you know. So he goes there, and I all set up high five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, my heart is running 90 miles an hour. I am still on the ground, perfectly safe, but I am still so scared. So as they suit us up, strap some guy to our back, and we get in a plane and start going up. Oh, I am just visibly just, I'm shaking, my heart's ringing. I am still perfectly safe in a plane. So we come right at the edge, and man, I mean, I think my heart's going to explode. And then all of a sudden, we go out the door. The point where I was in the greatest danger was absolute bliss. I do nothing more about it anymore. So as I fall, I just see this beauty all around me. How is it and why is it that when we are in the least amount of danger is the time that we are that have the greatest fear? It is that those that the perceived truth, the perceived danger, the, the invisible force that we are scared of is the times that we are greatest fear, that yet are in the, the, the greatest safety. Next thing we should do is we should be in constant pursuit of wisdom. Church, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of Christians out there, and I, I have been one of them that has used truth as a weapon. Being armed with truth without wisdom can be a harmful weapon. It can destroy people, and even though we're saying, hey, it's all truth, right? We want all to truth, but I'm telling you, truth without wisdom. We're going to talk about love. Without those three combinations, truth becomes deadly weapon. Proverbs 4, 7, Get, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. James 1, 5, if you need wisdom, ask our God, our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. James three seventeen. but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Church, if, if we could grasp that verse right there, we, we, we would be an influence in this world like none other. Amen. Now we, we, we are all too quick to fight for our rights. We're all too quick to be heard. We're all too quick to, to make sure that we, aren't, we don't have any wrong done to us. But if we were more peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others, even when we're being wronged, I think we could have a greater impact in this society. Amen. Lastly, we need to be in constant pursuit of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. 1 Peter 4, 8, most important of all, continue to show deep love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. And isn't that the truth? Man, you know, I, I often refer to a church as being family. What's significant about family? We don't always get along. We don't always agree. We don't always have the same opinions. But you know what? We love each other, and that love covers a multitude of sins. You know what? My brother can take me off sometimes. He can just make me so mad sometimes. I mean, sometimes when I was young, I mean, we got fist fights, you know. That's, but I love him. And I, I, I don't hold it to him. You know? 
John 3, 16 and 17. I love prayer in 17 and 3. We all know 3, 16, but you, 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 there's so much more power when you add 17 to this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. This is a place where truth, wisdom, and love merge in the, the most complete form, and that is on the cross. If we can approach people as Jesus approached people, willing to lay down our lives for them, willing to share in truth with them and love with them with wisdom, that is the most complete form of this when you see it on the cross. John 15, 13 says, There is no greater love than to lay down one life for one, lay down one's life for one's friend. You know, living in Indonesia has given me a perspective. They're a very community-based society. We, we are very individual-based, which has its great merits. Please don't, don't think I'm criticizing it as a whole. But one of the things we do as an individual-based society is we look out for number one. Mm-hmm. Take care of my, me and mine. We're in a community-based society. is never about... Me take care of me and mine. What's best for the community? You know what? If I'm willing to lay down my life for my friend, we're going to see something great happen. So let us pursue truth. Let us pursue wisdom. Let us pursue love. And in doing so, we will fall in line with righteousness. Church, you might say, what's God do with missions? It's everything. And I tell you what, as a missionary, we cannot do what we do without you guys doing what you do here. The church has to function as the full body of believers. And when people fall in line with righteousness, we see things happen. We see things happen in the physical, but we also see things happen in the spiritual. We see people come to know the Lord. We see people that that follow the calling. We see people that go and do the work. And we see people that just shine as He empowers them to do great mighty things. Church, we've got to fall in line with righteousness. We have to, in this day and age, it's even more important. Thank you guys so much for your, your blessings. You guys have been a, a great support of our ministry. And uh, we just want to say thank you for that. Bless you.